Chapter Twenty Two of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Twenty Two. Creel and Mustafa had a strenuous time that afternoon getting our cohort of natives into shape. They were so excited by the prospect of dressing up in masquerade that they behaved like a lot of children. Mustafa opened the proceedings by an oration in what I supposed was Arabic, and the fellaheen listened respectfully, squatted in a semicircle before him. It was the first time I had had occasion to observe them en masse, and closely, and I was struck by their strange similarity of appearance, a similarity much greater than that of negroes or even Chinamen. The almond-shaped eyes with their thick fringe of lashes, the smooth straight eyebrows, the wide-lipped mouth, the high cheekbones, the receding forehead, the broad flat nose all these gave to that circle of bronze faces a uniformity almost startling especially since every face was crowned with a close-fitting skull-cap converted into a sort of turban by winding a strip of dirty white cloth around it and add to this the fact that their bodies thin almost to emaciation were all clothed alike in long brown smocks and baggy white trousers why it almost seemed as if mustafa's audience was composed not of fifty men but of fifty replicas of the same man. They listened to the dragoman's remarks in silence and with impassive faces, until, toward the end, he rose to what I supposed to be a more impassioned flight, for then they grinned and nodded approval, and chattered to each other like a lot of blackbirds. I found out afterward that what had won this applause was not any trick of oratory, but the promise of an extra hundred piastres for the crowd, if it would do faithfully what was required of it. A hundred piastres runs all the way to five dollars, and Creel afterward paid it cheerfully. But our troubles were just beginning. The natives, under the stimulus of this brilliant reward, were willing enough and donned joyously the gorgeous raiment prepared for them, but to get them to do what we wanted them to do brought Creel to the verge of hysteria. All credit to him that he finally succeeded, except when—but I mustn't get ahead of my story. The first scene we took was in front of the tent showing the erstwhile favorite being dragged away to her fate, while the king looked cynically on with his eunuchs and other minions in the background. Digby and Mustafa did the dragging, and they had their hands so full that it looked to me as though Creel would have to don that coat of bronze and help. From the instant Mademoiselle Roland came in sight between her captors, I knew we were in for an afternoon of excitement. Her face was deathly pale, her eyes filmed with horror, her whole being vibrant with desperate agony. I have never seen a glance more heart-rending than that she cast at Jimmy, but his cynical smile did not waver, and he urged her executioners on. The effect on the natives was extraordinary, just the effect we wanted, as Creel observed delightedly, for they moved uneasily, staring with open mouths, evidently divided between fear of Jimmy, who looked very regal indeed in his purple robes, and sympathy for his victim, who had never seemed more beautiful. "'Great!' said Creel, when the scene was finished, and Mademoiselle Roland stood pale and panting, while Mustafa scraped the sweat from his face with a hooked finger. Poor Digby didn't dare wipe his for fear the bronze would come off. It couldn't be better, Princess. Now we'll take another, out at the edge of the oasis. She walked away without answering, and there was something in her face which made me vaguely uneasy, the same look which Jimmy's face had had the day before, a look which seemed to say that this wasn't acting at all, but grim reality. And there was something in the look which Jimmy sent after her that I didn't like either a kind of infernal gloating. I got my camera set up with a beautiful clump of palms as a background, while Creel and Mustafa marshaled the players, and then we did a scene with the whole crowd starting across the desert toward the tomb. 
the princess had ceased struggling and walked with drooping shoulders and bowed head as though she recognized the uselessness of resistance as she passed the camera she looked straight into it with the most tragic glance i ever saw to look into the camera is usually an error of technique but it wasn't in this case i could guess how that glance would thrill the audience then we did a third scene on the steps a terrific close-up for when she reached the steps and looked across the court and saw the open tomb waiting to receive her she was like a madwoman shrieking clawing writhing it was only by putting forth their utmost strength that digby and mustapha managed to drag her down look here i heard digby pant we can't help hurting you you know if you don't let up a little but she didn't let up only looked at him as though he had uttered an insult and spat in his face and i fancied i could see digby go pale under his bronze as he bit his lips and dragged her on and i heard something else that sent a chill over me a sort of guttural murmur from the natives as they realized what was about to happen digby and mustapha had dropped their prisoner the instant the scene was over and when i got down the steps she was leaning against the wall with staring eyes her lips drawn back in an ugly snarl her bosom rising and falling convulsively to me she seemed on the verge of collapse but she didn't even look at me when i asked if there was anything i could do just stood there clutching at the wall for support and staring toward the tomb digby and mustapha were expostulating with creel my god sir said mustapha it is too much i cannot do it she spat in my face growled digby oh shut up snapped creel it was great consummate suppose she did spit in your face that won't hurt you no don't you dare wipe that off but i don't like it it's going too far it's not right it's gloriously right but sir mustapha protested the fellaheen they not understand they make trouble trouble did you not hear them it is bad when they make that noise very bad they think she is to be killed oh well explain that it's only make-believe said creel impatiently i thought they understood that it is impossible said mustapha for them to understand it is something beyond them promise them another hundred piastres then said creel and while mustapha began another oration to the excited natives he walked over to mademoiselle roland it is perfectly gorgeous princess he said and i saw that he himself was too excited to notice how near prostration she was it's the greatest scene i ever filmed if you can only keep it up she looked at him strangely without replying and he might have noticed something then had not mustapha hurried up rubbing his hands it is all right sir he said what do we do now line them up in front of the tomb along the carpet put your camera here billy jimmy stand here under the shelter ready now princess the final struggle get hold of her digby get hold of her mustapha shove her into the tomb it must be by a sort of sixth sense a cameraman grinds out his foot a second at least when that scene was over i could not remember that i had cranked at all and for an instant turned sick and dizzy but when i glanced at my indicator i saw it was all right i thought they would break her wrists dragging her forward she dug her heels into the sand she tried to throw herself prostrate she twined herself about the men and such cries such shrieks and then when they got her to the tomb she wrenched herself free and sprang at jimmy who stood looking coldly on and i verily believe she would have clawed his eyes out if digby and mustapha had not seized her and dragged her back and then she begged for mercy the tears streaming down her face look i am young i am beautiful see this body so soft and tender so full of delight it is yours yours i swear i came within an ace of rushing forward and rescuing her myself and i could have torn jimmy limb from limb when he shook his head and motioned her away and then the struggle began again more terrible than ever and i saw her bend swiftly and sink her teeth into mustapha's arm 
and I saw the purple rage which flashed into his face as he whirled her from her feet and thrust her into the tomb. "'Bring your box up here, Billy,' cried Creel. "'Now, Digby, quick, the stones!' And Digby, with shaking hands, began to set in place the stones which Mustafa handed up to him. Once her face appeared at the opening, livid, scarcely a living face, and Mustafa thrust it back into the darkness with one ruthless blow, and then all the stones were in but the last square one, with its oval cartouche, and through the hole her hands were thrust, begging, imploring for mercy, and I could hear her voice, faint and inarticulate. Digby hesitated, the stone in his hands, and glanced at Jimmy. It was the supreme touch, how it would register. And Jimmy nodded coldly. Put it in, he said, and Digby dabbed it with black mortar and thrust it into place. Now, cried Creel, walk slowly away, all of you, out of the picture. But that touch was destined never to be added, for with a hoarse cry the fellain swept over us, and began to claw frantically at that sealed opening. "'Crank, Billy, crank!' yelled Creel, and he told me afterward that the thought had flashed into his head that he might use the scene somehow, but he never did. I saw it the other day when we were testing out the film, and even on the screen it gave me the horrors, for it brought that frantic minute so clearly back to me. I cranked away during the sixty seconds it took those desperate blacks to claw those stones out again. "'By God, sir, she bit me!' I heard Mustafa saying, and saw that a dark stain was spreading across his white sleeve. "'She is no woman. She is a devil. She should stay in there.' "'Davis and three or four men are in there, too,' answered Creel with a smile. "'We can't very well abandon them. Anyway, those blacks of yours have settled the matter. They've got the stones out. Call them off, Mustafa, and get those clothes off of them before they're torn to shreds. My wife will dress your wound, and I'll give you ten dollars extra into the bargain.' Mustafa's face, which had been sullen and threatening, cleared as if by magic, and he waded into his men with some of the most energetic language I ever heard, and such is the force of habit, ingrained through long centuries of oppression, that his men slunk back and pulled off their gay attire, and piled it in a heap under Digby's direction. But they were evidently not satisfied, for they hung about the border of the excavation, watching sullenly to see what would happen next. For Mademoiselle Roland had not reappeared at the opening of the tomb, I had expected to see her standing there, the instant the stones were pulled away, pale, panting, and triumphant. But there was only the blackness of the tomb, and then Creel ran forward and disappeared inside. And then, as I unslung my camera with trembling hands, for I knew that it would not be needed again that day, I was astonished to see Jimmy, in all his war-paint as king of Egypt, calmly mounting the steps of the excavation, as though he had no possible concern in the girl's fate, or as though he knew that fate was settled that he had buried her alive and was leaving her to die. That was what his look seemed to say. So cruel and impassive. Then Creel's face reappeared at the opening. Turn your box over to Digby Billy, he called, and come here. A moment later I was clamoring through the opening. No, no, called Creel's voice. Stay outside. Wait a minute. What's the matter? I gasped. Nothing serious. The princess has fainted. And then he came toward me out of the darkness, with the girl in his arms. Take her when I lift her to you. She's not heavy. As I bent forward and passed my arms under her knees and shoulders, I caught, from within the tomb, the regular chip-chipping of Davis's chisel, and I shivered, for there was something curiously ominous in the sound, as though he were closing a sepulchre instead of opening one. And then the light fell on the girl's face, and I stared down at it in horror. "'She's dead!' Creel, I gasped, for it was ghastly, and across one cheek was an ugly bruise already turning blue. "'Nonsense!' snapped Creel. "'Don't lose your nerve, Billy.' And he clambered through. "'Mustafa,' he called, "'you will tell your men that the lady has fainted, but will soon be all right again. 
Then help Digby bring that stuff over to the tent. Now, give her to me, Billy, and he lifted her from my arms. You bring your camera. We've got to guard that film. We'll never make another like it, not if we live a thousand years. As we mounted the steps, we could hear Mustafa imparting Creel's assurance to his men that the lady had only fainted. But had she? As I looked down at her lying so limp and ghastly in Creel's arms, I was shaken again by great fear. Look at that bruise, Creel, I whispered. Do you suppose that was where Mustafa struck her? I shouldn't be surprised, said Creel grimly. It's an ugly bruise, I know, but the film was worth it. I know she'll think so. The bruise will heal in a day or two, but that scene will make her famous. And maybe it wasn't Mustafa at all. Maybe she struck it when she fell. Anyway, she hasn't anything to complain of. She buried her teeth in his arm. I know, I said, I saw it. Do you think it was just acting? No, said Creel shortly. It was better than acting. I think she went mad. I think she imagined she was really being buried alive. Maybe that's her method, to let herself go. She made my flesh creep, I said. It was gorgeous, Creel agreed. And this is the reaction. It was bound to come. I glanced again at the ghastly face. If she only comes around all right, I began. Of course she'll come around all right, broke in Creel angrily. A little ammonia or something of that sort. My wife will know what to do. Women are used to this sort of thing. And indeed, Ma Creel took charge of the case in a matter-of-course way, which was most reassuring. You men run along, she said, after Creel had laid the girl on the bed. You're only in the way here. But I'm surprised at you, Worry, letting her work herself into this state. Letting her, echoed Creel. Why, good Lord, Mary, I couldn't have stopped her if I'd wanted to. She was like a wildcat. It is a shame, just a shame. What made that bruise on her cheek? I guess she struck it when she fainted, said Creel. Well, all I can say is I'm ashamed of you. Now you and Billy get out of here. Molly and I will look after her. Creel and I left the tent like a pair of criminals. Outside we came upon Jimmy, stretched out at his ease in a canvas lounging chair and smoking a cigarette. To my surprise he still wore his oriental costume, though it must have been suffocatingly hot. "'You can get out of those togs, Jimmy,' said Creel shortly. "'We're through for today. I thought you understood.' "'I wanted to be sure,' said Jimmy. "'It's an infernal nuisance getting into this rig. "'Mamselle Roland all right?' he asked carelessly. "'She fainted,' said Creel. "'That final scene was too much for her. "'You certainly took it coolly enough.' "'Oh, yes,' said Jimmy. "'I've got past the fainting stage.' Creel shot him a curious glance. As for me, I turned away with something very like disgust, for the conviction suddenly flashed upon me that his callousness during the burial scene had not been assumed, that he would have looked on just as calmly if it had been in deadly earnest instead of make-believe. I went over to the property tent and sealed up the film in an airtight case and labeled it. The heat made me a little uneasy about all the films, if anything should happen to them, but I didn't dare think of it. Jimmy came in as I was putting my camera away and began to strip off his robes, whistling softly under his breath. The sound enraged me, and I was about to tell him so when Creel called me from outside. Billy. Yes, I answered. Davis has sent word that he's ready to open the sarcophagus. Don't you want to go over? I surely do, I said, and hurried out and joined him. Davis was waiting for us at the entrance to the tomb, his face convulsed with excitement. Come along, he cried. I've got the lid loose. I wouldn't have waited much longer. He led the way along the passage into the inner chamber. Four natives were waiting there armed with long crowbars, and at a sign from Davis they set to work, prying up the great granite lid. Slowly it rose, an inch, two inches, and I caught a sudden gust of spicy perfume. Now, slide it over, said Davis hoarsely, and I could judge of his excitement by the way my own heart was hammering in my throat. Careful, careful! 
and then he was clinging to the edge of the sarcophagus, staring down into it. I've found it, he whispered hoarsely. By heaven, I've found it. For an instant I was dazzled by the glow of light and color which burst from within the tomb, under the rays of the torches. Then I saw something vaguely like a human form, gilt from top to bottom, and a face staring up at me with wide-open eyes. "'Look at it!' gasped Creel. "'Look at it!' And he pointed at the face with a shaking finger, and my heart turned to ice within me, for the face was the face of Jimmy Allen. End of chapter 22